involved with teaching at a seminary there, teaching pastors throughout the land, and uh, and uh, he's just been a, a blessing to our church in the past. He's preached before. We're really glad to have him here, and we just ask that you just uh, bless us with with the word. Thanks, Sam. <coughs> Is that me popping and cracking? Well, it's good to be here, and we do love you. It's amazing to me just meeting a few of you over uh, this morning that some of you even remember. It was three years ago, and uh, you remember us. You remember that we were working in Goa, and uh, that tells me that you've been praying for us, so we really appreciate it. Of course, we're, we're bound to you as a church uh, you sent Dottie over to work with us for, for six months, and we still haven't recovered from that. I mean, I, I mean that in a good way, and uh, a, bit of a pers- personal blessing. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to keep talking, and I know you're going to fix it in the back. Uh, but we, we especially also have been bound together with the Fitzgerald family and, and just love them. And so it's good to be back. Uh, We have been serving now in India, Nicole and myself and our brood of, uh, I think it's five kids now, uh, that we've we've been there for 14 years. Uh, We were reminiscing. We got married the same year, went out into ministry, and that's just crazy because I don't feel like I'm a day over 19. But it's uh, it's been good to serve the Lord in my home um, and uh, really see... Christ being honored through the raising up of men. Uh, Our main ministry is a seminary, and we have trained in the last 14 years 90 men and sent them out to various parts of India. Almost all of them are church planters. And, And just try to walk in the footsteps of like what the Apostle Paul did in the book of Acts, because Christ has promised to build his church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And And India is very much a country that is dominated by the forces of darkness. And to see churches that are established and can become lighthouses for the Lord Jesus Christ. One of our students, for instance, he's right there on the banks of the river uh, Ganga, the Ganges River, where people go to, to worship false idols and even put their dead relatives in that river, worshiping that river for uh, some sort of purification and cleansing. Uh, it's really ironic when you go there. It's one of the dirtiest rivers in the country, and yet they go there to get cleansed from their sins. But Dinesh and his wife, Shannon, are, are pastoring a, and looking after a church there and standing out for the one and true God, and his name is Jesus. So it's, it's good to be a part of ministry in this, this sense of just establishing uh, voices uh, and lighthouses for the Lord Jesus Christ around the country of India. We have 1.2 billion people, and there's a, a big harvest there. So keep praying for us as we continue to seek to send out soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ in this land. Uh, I also pastor a church, uh, Cornerstone Community Church, and they just finished their service and told me it went well. You know, it's crazy that we're on the opposite side of the world. Uh, but continue to pray for them. We, we live in an area, Goa which is predominantly uh, not just Hindu, but even Roman Catholic. The Portuguese uh, used to be there during the time when we were colonized. And the Lord has brought almost 60% of our church from a Roman Catholic background, just as as the word goes out. So pray 
that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would continue to stand and thrive and be victorious as we seek to be his servants there. Well, it's my joy to take you to God's word this morning, and that is the only source of life and growth. And so I want to turn you to, at at first you, you might say, praise the Lord, the shortest psalm, the shortest chapter in the Bible. But you know how dangerous it is when us preachers get even a few verses we can we can make a lot out of it but i want to turn you to psalm 117 and it's just two verses two verses and yet i think very significant even in the way in which it speaks to us you may not know this but psalm 117 stands exactly at the center of our bibles even mathematically there's 594 chapters before it And there's 594 chapters after it. And so as you turn there, you more or less are in the middle, in the heart of this precious book that God has given to us to know him and to follow him. And so let me read these two verses for you, even as we consider what God is saying to us through them. Psalm 117, praise the Lord. And that literally is hallelujah. All nations, laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Not only is this psalm central in the Bible, but I would say in God's providence, it speaks of a truth that should be central in our Christian lives, and that is worship. One of the things that that marks us, even as I I, I work in India, in a land that that worships many false gods, 330 million gods to be exact, is the distinctiveness of our lives by the grace of God and through the power of Jesus Christ, we worship in truth. We worship the true God. God. And that marks us as separate and unique and different from all the other peoples of this earth. We are the people of God that have been loved by Him and therefore we love Him with every fiber of our being. That's why the psalm starts with worship, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and it ends with worship, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I would say, in a sense, that is the distinctiveness even of the church of Jesus Christ. A church that is strong is a worshiping church. A church that is weak has forgotten how to worship and what worship means. And even when you look at the book of Acts, you see as they devoted themselves in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, all those wonderful things, the the one distinctive mark that people saw in the next verse, verse 43, is everyone had a sense of awe. As they recognized through all that they were doing that they were the people of God. And they knew the God of creation, the God of redemption. And it made them tremble in all that they were and all that they did. That's what makes a church strong. That's what makes a Christian strong. That's what makes a family strong is when we begin to understand this key aspect of why Jesus has saved us. 
and that is to make much of him. And by implication, to make less of ourselves. I mean, those two things go together. I, I would say that's the battle of sanctification, isn't it? For me to, to, to realize how sinful I am, how, how nothing I am, and, and yet at the same time, how great and sufficient and mighty and awesome the Lord Jesus Christ is. The chief end of man, as the Westminster Catechism so aptly said, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's beautiful, isn't it? I think that's exactly what this psalm is, is calling us to, to be consumed in worship by God's glory. Now, while we make statements like that, and we even go amen to that, sometimes the very basic aspects of the Christian life are the things we are the most confused about. Like even when we say, I live to glorify God, what, what does that mean? I mean, does it just mean a lot of sound and fury and thunder? And What does it mean to glorify God? And, and so I, I believe this psalm really steps out for us in, in some practical pathways as to how we can be refreshed. I know some of you have lived the Christian life longer than I've been around, and you can teach me. But, but just to refresh you again from the Word of God, what does it mean to be consumed with worship? What does it mean to be consumed by God's glory? I can think of nothing better to talk about. And so this, this psalm gives us really two practical pathways to be controlled and consumed by God's glory. And I'm, I'm just following the verses. There's two verses and two points. And, and, and so the first pathway that can help us, that can help me even again this morning, to be a worshiper, help you to be a church that is strong in Christ. It's found in verse 1, and it is, it is this. Saturate your heart with God's greatness. You look, at, you look at verse 1 again, and it says, Praise the Lord, and look at the context. Amidst all the nations, He is Yahweh, and He is King over all the nations. And then it goes on to say, laud him. What does that word mean? We'll talk about it. Or, or praise him, all tribes. And, and even in that initial reading, you get this sense that we are in the presence as his people of the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. There, there is no ruler. There is no potentate. There is no kingdom in this universe that can stand as equal with Yahweh. And, and, and so the psalmist says, worship just starts with just saturating yourself with this truth. What a timely truth that is, isn't it? Especially right now as you think about our hearts being unstable, as we think, oh, who's going to be the next president? Who's going to be the next person that is, is taking even this nation forward? And, and I know even as Christians, we can begin to tremble and we can begin to become weak because we forget. So often that, you know, in one sense, it doesn't really matter. Because there is always one who is in charge, no matter if there's a Nero or if there's a good person on the throne. There is always one who is over all of these kings, over all of these rulers. And our hearts are settled in him. And unless you saturate yourself in that truth, Christian, you will begin to tremble. You will begin to become weak, you will begin to fear the wrong thing. The fear of God leads to stability. It leads to strength. 
in the Christian. So saturate your heart, Christian, with God's greatness. Let it marinate through your bones. Now, he talks about two ways in which we can do this. And the first way is literally, as he says, praise the Lord. That's, that's a word, hallel. And we know that. We, we, we sing it, hallelujah. And, and rightly so, it's a good Hebrew word. But we, we don't often understand the sense of what it means. And I, I would put it in this way. The first way in which we can really marinate our hearts in worship is this, boast. Now that sounds like a bad word at first, but boast in the kingship of Yahweh. Now why do I say that? You know, the word hallel can be translated as praise. But there's, there's a sense in which it's even a loud shout of confidence. Now, we, we often boast in the wrong things, don't we? We're often confident in the wrong things. Sometimes we boast in our, in our wealth. Sometimes we boast in our property. Sometimes we boast in our education. Sometimes we boast in the fact that I was ordained and I sent out by, you know, the greatest seminary in the world, the master seminary. And, and all of those things are just stupid. And they kill worship. In fact... You know this verse well, Jeremiah chapter 9 and verses 23 and 24. It says this, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. You think about all the things that we can boast in. And he just says there is no room for that in the Christian life to to boast in those things. But catch this, you may not have, have noticed this or known this before. The word for boast there in that verse is hallel. It's the same word. And and what God is saying is, you know what worship makes you do? It makes you recognize just the nothingness of the rocks that we build our life upon. Of the, the foundations that we tend to think we can stand upon. And it, it says every thing begins to fade away and you begin to see, as Jesus said even in the Sermon on the Mount, that there is only one rock upon whom we stand and it is Christ. And it is all that he is to us in his, in his life, in his cross, in his work, in his intercession. He is the one on which we stand. Amen? And so that's literally what the psalmist is saying even as he starts. He's saying, I have begun to realize that I can boast in only one thing. And it is sanctified to boast like this. It is not sinful to boast like this. And I will boast in my King Jesus. Boast in his kingship. Jeremiah 9.24 says, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows God and knows Christ. And what the, the psalmist is even saying is, as you recognize Who Christ is, he is the Christ who is over all the nations. I I love the fact as as a missionary family that we get to travel and fly around all over the world. And we get to see a lot of great cities. I mean, one of the cities that we we flew into was Los Angeles. And you may not think it's a great city, but, you know, the the buildings, just the buildings and the skyscrapers, especially when you're you're in LAX, uh, they're magnificent. I mean, they would maybe put the Tower of Babel to shame. And as you stand around some of those man-made edifices, you think, what a nation this is. What a place this is. 
But when you get in a plane and, and you fly over some of those things, suddenly these big buildings become small, don't they? As you begin to have that sort of godly perspective over what man is and what he can do. And, and they just look like little zits or pimples on the side of the earth. And that's exactly how God sees the nations. That's how great he is. In fact, Isaiah 40 verse 15 says, Behold the nations. You think they're great, aren't they? Whether they're the, the Middle East nations with all their oil or whether it's, you know, the Western nations with all their finances and their money and all of those. Behold, the nations before King Jesus are like a drop in the bucket. And in case you didn't get that, he goes on to say, you know, they're like a speck of dust. That's God's perspective on the nations as he thinks about his power in comparison to us. And it's refreshing, isn't it? I mean, what, what frightens you? What threatens your stability in life? I think sometimes when we bring, well, what's the biggest enemy to worship? It's worry, isn't it? By all the threats and all the powers and all the forces that, that this world seems to have. But when you walk into the presence of your king, you begin to realize that they are but specks. They have no value. They have no power. They have no authority. And only Christ has authority. Even Satan himself, you read the book of Job, and Martin Luther said this himself in his own life. He said, Satan is just but the Lord's devil. He can't do anything unless Christ allows him to. And so you fear your Christ. And that saturates and builds your heart up in strength that you can never find in this life and in this world. You know, this is so important for us to maybe even bring it down to the, the, the church level. So important for us to even realize in the church, sometimes in the church, we can begin to rest on and begin to lean on men as the ones that are strength to us. And, and I know your pastors and your elders would say that's the last thing we want to be seen as. But that's dangerous. And, and, and Christ reminded us through the words of even Peter. He said, the elders are only your example. They're only your model. They're only supposed to be channels to take you to the chief shepherd who is in charge of your soul. And that's what a pastor does. And church, you will, you will begin to be strong when you realize even today, that this church is built on one who never leaves it and never forsakes it, and his name is Jesus. And he will lead you no matter what. Isn't it amazing to think about this? Nations have come and gone. Rome, Greece, who knows how long America is going to last. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but, but the church has stood no matter what. And FBC has stood because Christ is the chief shepherd of this church. Doesn't that cause you to be enthralled even as you, you think about who are we that we should be part of this great enterprise of, of knowing King Jesus and being part of his plan. The armies of the earth cannot stand against the power of Jesus and what he is doing in building his church. Well, 
Not only do we boast in his kingship, but we also sing of his mercy. This is another way we can be saturated by God's greatness. He is king over all the nations, and then we sing of his mercy over all the peoples. I think that's the sense of the second phrase there in verse 1. It says, laud him, or even sing over all the tribes, over all the peoples. And now we're going from the big picture of the empires and the nations of the world to even thinking about the small, insignificant pockets and families that are found in maybe remote places around the world that nobody even knows of. But God does. You know, I I love the greatness of God. He is great over empires, and He is even great over His consideration over small individual families in different parts of the world. It's, It's been my joy, it's been my privilege to even serve in India and and go and preach in some places where there's no electricity, there's no running water. You know, there's just no... The government doesn't even know that some of these villages exist. And Christ does. And he has planted churches in those places. And and those people are happier than people that have all the amenities in life. You know, Sometimes we can complain about water drought and all of that. But it is just enough. You go and visit some of these people... To know that Christ is over us. He has saved us. He has given his life for us. And that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, sing. Sing this song among all the peoples. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we think about worship as just something we do in private. And yet, the way the psalmist speaks of it. He says, worship is something that you don't just do in private, but you even sing in the public square so that people may know that you live and you have confidence and you have joy not in the things of this world, but in your Redeemer. It should be private. I think that's where it starts. But it shouldn't cease in public. I think people should know in in the conversations that you have, in the business that you do, in the work that you have been given by God, do people just know you as an individual or do they know you as somebody that loves Christ? And you can see the psalmist, he's just, I can't stop singing about Christ. I I remember even in, in our church in Goa, some people have come up and told us, And and God has placed you on a main road as well. And it's great. You can sing loud so that people driving can hear you. But but some people even come and said, "What, what is that noise that you guys have? And I said, it's just our people singing. Hopefully it's more than noise, but it's just our people singing because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people have been drawn to know Christ just through worship. Isn't that not the way it should be? And so he says, sing. Of his mercy. Psalm 63, verse 3, I think you know this. The same word is used there because your loving kindness is, is even better than life. My lips will, will laud you. Same word. My lips will sing out loudly about you and about your grace. And what Jesus said is very true in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. He said, The gospel of this kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as the testimony to all the nations. That word for nations there, it's families. It's tribes. God is literally saying, I will give my 
gospel to every single family in the furthest regions of the world. That's how great I am. And then Christ will come. Isn't that the song of Revelation? That on that final day, there are going to be people singing Revelation 5-9 from what? A few tribes and, you know, a few nations. Every tribe and, and every nation, they're going to be singing with gusto. And, and somehow we're going to be understanding each other. You know, the, the Tower of Babel is going to be over. I live in the Tower of Babel. But it's going to be over. And what is going to unite us is going to be this passionate fervency of worship for our Redeemer. Why don't we start now? Why don't we just grab this truth in our hearts right now? Kingdoms may come, kingdoms may go, but Jesus' enterprise is always rushing forward towards his final reign and towards his final rule. You know, that's, that's why, I mean, this is a mission psalm, nations and people, but even as a missionary, one of the things I have to realize, and just to remind you, is if you get just obsessed with missions, you're actually going to get burned out. The, the goal of missions is not just numbers and people and, and, you know, work. But the goal of missions is worship. The goal of, of missions is to, is to bring more people into a white-hot worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a greater goal, isn't it, for the church? Than just running around like chickens with our heads cut off, just trying to give tracks to people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's worship. You know, actually, one of the things that I've discovered in missions even is that worship makes you a better missionary. People don't want to listen to a gospel that comes from somebody that's just full of worry and whining, right? Because you're saying, oh, King Jesus is great, but oh, man, oh, man, my problems, they're so great too. Nobody wants to, to follow a Jesus that doesn't change your heart. But what the psalmist says in this verse is if your heart is saturated with Christ's greatness, then 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 will happen. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Just understand how, how great and awesome and powerful and redemptive He is in your heart. And then you know what will happen? People will come to ask you, what's wrong with you? And you say, what's wrong with me is Jesus. And they say, how come you're, you're still worshiping even though you have cancer? How come you're still worshiping even though your bank is drained? How come you're worshiping even though you got laid off? And you say, it's because of Christ. And that gospel is a powerful gospel, isn't it? A gospel that comes from a heart of worship. Well, the psalmist doesn't just tell us to, to be saturated with worship, but he goes on to give us some content to this worship in the, in the next verse. And that is, basically, our worship focuses on certain truths that God has revealed to us in the scriptures. Verse 2, for his loving kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. I would put it in this way. After we saturate our heart, with God's greatness, specifically, we satisfy our souls with God's goodness. We satisfy our souls with God's goodness. Praise the Lord that as sinful as I am, as sinful as you are, He is slow to anger. I should have been banished to hell a long time ago, right? 
but he's slow to anger, and he's abundant in what? Loving kindness and truth. Those were the same words that were revealed to, to Moses on Sinai as, as the key elements of who God is that Moses needed to cling on during times of tough trials for Israel. Those were the same truths that, that John revealed in the Gospel of John chapter 1. He said, no one has seen the Father, but, but if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. And we have beheld His glory, and He is full of what? Grace and truth. And it's, it's like these themes are stitched through all of Scripture that, that when we come to know God, these are the two things in the gospel that, that we begin to cling on to as, as our sustenance, as our bread, as our life. Even as Jesus told a woman at the well, he said, if you come to me and, and drink of the water that I give you, the grace that I give you, you will never thirst again, but it will become like a spring of of." of of a well that would spring forth towards eternal life. John chapter 4 and verse 18. And so we, we want to be satisfied and, and satiated with the sufficiency of, of Christ, even in this verse, that he is good to us. And he's good in two ways. His loving kindness, or his chesed, I love that Hebrew word, is literally not just great, that's, that's a, a weak translation but it conquers us. You remember when, when Moses was, was praying and Joshua and the nation of Israel were fighting and, and he would raise his hands up and, and they would help him to raise his hands and it said, as Moses' hands were raised, the nation of Israel conquered or prevailed over the Canaanites. And when Moses' hands fell, they were prevailed against. Same word. Same word. His loving kindness literally conquers us, prevails over us. Now, you, you don't necessarily think about love in that way, right? <laughs> but if you, if you even remember, we, we sing this at Christmas all the time. He rules the world with what? With truth and grace. That, that's how God conquers. If, if, if you think about even the Great Commission, sometimes we miss the point of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, and we, we start with go. Again, we're more interested in what we do rather than what Christ has accomplished. But the Great Commission doesn't start with go. You can't go unless you understand that Christ has gone before you. And, and the Great Commission starts in Matthew 28, 18 with what? All authority in heaven and on earth. I am King of kings and Lord of lords has been given to me through my work on the cross. Therefore, Spread my mercy towards lost sinners. God uses the might of his power that created the heavens and the earth, that allowed him to stand on a cross for six hours and bear the weight, the infinite weight of all of our wrath and all of our punishment. He uses that might and, and, and then he rose from the the, the grave with, with this awesome might, and he lives forever with this awesome might. He uses that might not to kill and to crush wicked sinners such as you and me, but to win us over and conquer us with his love. And the idea there is that we don't cooperate. He wins in spite of us, fighting with every fiber of our being till the last. Do, do you remember when you got saved? It was, a, it was a fight, but you didn't win. Praise God. 
as you, as you try to hold on to your sin because you loved it more than Jesus. But today you're in this room because he won you with his love, right? You were broken by the cross of Jesus Christ that the Son of God would give his life and his blood for you. It just broke your heart, didn't it? And that was the moment that God won in each one of your lives. And you are here because of King Jesus winning the battle abundantly in every pew, in every individual. He did that with the the Apostle Paul. I mean, can you think of anybody like this? The Apostle Paul, he was Osama bin Laden. He used to drag people out of their homes and, and literally murder them in the streets. And what did God do to him? He won with his love on that Damascus road. And Paul became the writer of the bulk of the New Testament that continues to thrive with the life of the gospel. That's how amazing King Jesus is. He conquers us with his love. I I just can't get enough, and I think this is why most of our hymns focus on the love of Christ. I can't get enough of how strong the love of Christ is. When you think about Jesus even here in his earthly ministry, he was ready to go to the cross in John chapter 13. He knew perfectly well because he was omniscient how he was going to suffer, not just physically, but even spiritually as he bore the weight of our sin. Now, what would you and I do in that circumstance? As, as you face the greatest trial of your life, you will stop thinking about your wife, you will stop thinking about your children, and you just begin to think about you and your trial. John 13, verse 1, as Jesus faced the greatest challenge in his life, having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. And he sought a room where he could spend some hours with them, counseling them, serving them, giving them a model of servanthood by washing their feet. Even as Jesus was hanging on the cross, his love was an amazing love where he, he, he didn't just look upon those people that had crucified him and mocked him and spat on him with hate or with judgment. But he said what? Father, forgive them. And the centurion got saved. And I'm sure numerous other men got saved. The thief on the cross got saved. One of them at least. Because his love is a conquering love. In his last few moments, even as Christ was dying, he didn't think about himself, but he thought about his mom. And he called John and he said, John, please take care of her. I think we need to look at those moments of of greatest anxiety and stress in our Lord and just recognize how strong his love is. No matter how much we hated him, he was not bound by our hate, but he was stronger than our hate. And therefore, brothers and sisters, you can have confidence because this is your high priest even today. While you falter, while you sleep, while you stumble, he doesn't stumble. And he intercedes for you and he prays for each one of you because his love is a conquering love. Isn't this a great, great source of of worship? You know, sometimes we want to worship God because of maybe our our thoughts towards him. And that's where we get it wrong. Worship starts by recognizing how great God's thoughts are towards us. How great God's, God's love is towards us. 
I don't have any love. But the moment I begin to think about his love, it ignites me with love for him. We love because he first loved us. For his loving kindness is great towards us. And finally, the psalmist says this about being satisfied. Isn't that so satisfying? Nobody, not even a wife, not even a spouse, not even a pastor can love us like Jesus Christ. And so the psalmist goes on to say, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. I think in light of this passage, in light of John chapter 1, verse 14, you have to connect this to Christ. And the truth of the Lord, you could even translate it into this way, the faithfulness of the Lord. The fact that, that God in Christ will always do what he has promised for his people. It's hard for us to imagine this, isn't it? Because we live in a day and age where the people that should be the most trustworthy will often fail us. And unfortunately, we begin to think about Christ in the way in which we relate to one another. And God wants to remind us that the way he acts is not like man. His faithfulness is consistent. It's everlasting. I would, I would put it in this way. He compels us with his promises. The truth of who Christ is for us is expressed, brothers and sisters, all through the pages of Scripture, through the promises that God has made to us, focused and centered and stemming from Jesus and his love for us. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, all the promises of God are what? Yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Charles Spurgeon, if you don't have this, you can buy it, I think, on Amazon. I don't get a commission for this. But it's, I think it's only $5. He wrote a book called The Christian's Checkbook. Now, you, you, you like to withdraw things that you can sustain yourself on. And for the Christian... Charles Spurgeon said, the Christian's checkbook are all the promises of God that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And he wrote 365 devotionals for every day of the year that can help you to wake up in the morning, no matter what your trials are, because you know that Christ is faithful to you. No matter who fails, he is faithful to you. You know, and, and this can become a blessing in your, in your marriage. Some of you, maybe you're saying, I've got... So much that I'm struggling against. You know, she needs to do this for me or he needs to do that for me. But when you recognize that you have all your needs met in the faithfulness of Christ, you say, it doesn't matter. I give because of how much Christ has given to me. I'm not a beggar. I'm a rich man. I'm a rich woman. And I enter my marriage with the richness of Christ. I enter my trials with the richness of Christ. It helps you serve. The truth of the Lord is everlasting. You know, this is what caused Job, this is what caused the psalmist, Psalm 42, 8, to even say, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. As Spurgeon said, we may go through the valleys of the shadow of death, but remember, because Jesus died for us, they're just shadows. And we never face the substance of death. And life is ours because Christ is for us. That's why the psalmist says, I can't stop worshiping. Praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. This is the way in which I live my life. It is the fuel that drives me forward. It, was, it is what helps me to stand. It is what helps me to live. Brothers and sisters, is this your strength? Is this your strength individually? Is this your strength in your families? Is this your strength in your church? If it is, then you can't just but help being a witness and a testimony for Jesus Christ. Let's pray to that end. Father God, we thank you so much for the reminder that you have given us in this small but power-packed psalm of how we can live. And we can't live, Lord, by our own strength, by our own energies, by our own might. Thank you for reminding us of that again. It's hard for us to embrace that, but Lord, help us to do exactly that. Even this week, as we live, help us to live by feeding on you, Jesus, and living in light of your majesty and your power and your mercy in our lives. Lord, help us to be your instruments, even in a dying world. Through your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Sammy? All right. That was a great.